Freunden. Was machst du in deiner Brightside? That is the extent of, not the extent of, but that is, you know, what I remember from my two years in Germany in high school that served me very well working in Illinois, where I don't have a lot of German speakers. I really should have learned more Spanish. I mean, I know, hola, como estas? Muy bien. I did have to learn, I did have to learn, for when I answer the phone, I did have to learn, un momento, por favor, no comprende español. That's me saying, one minute, please, I don't know Spanish. And I, uh, then I put them on hold. And I go find our employees that actually do know how to speak Spanish that I am outrageously jealous of. Uh, that is entirely off topic, but it was my attempt at something new. I have this deadline of like the end of September to come up with something clever for all of you guys. Today's episode, if there's a bit of BKGD noise, uh, that's background noise. It's because I am unfortunately having to record this in my vehicular. Uh, life gets busy, children get crazy, and, you know, podcasts require attention. So that has led me to having to record today's episode in my vehicular, as I already stated. Anyways, <clears throat> so today... I wanted to talk a little bit more about game development and kind of the method behind my madness, or I guess the madness behind my method. Uh, either way, it involves madness, I suppose, uh, in in one in one way, shape, form, or another. So, a lot of times, and you know, okay, so let me actually want to start first talking about there is. There's a lot of different types of games, but I, sometimes I feel like there's like two main camps, two main categories where you have the Euro style games and the Ameritrash, as they call them. Uh, and I, I don't know if that actually, I don't know if that term is still used a lot. It was, it was used probably in, I was introduced to it in like the late nineties when I was playing a lot of the like, uh, Eagle games and the Avalon Hill, uh, yeah, it was some Avalon Hill games. Uh, and then, of course, there was the old Milton Bradley uh, Game Master series game, which I actually own copies of Axis and Allies, Samurai Swords, uh, Fortress America, and Conquest of the Empire. I still, I've never gotten Broadsides and Buccaneers or whatever it is, Broadsides and Boardy Parties, I believe, because that one is super hard to get. I had, I, I almost was able to get one someone sat, sell a copy to me uh but then their store went out of business and they disappeared but i was working on it i was going to have complete my set as, as so to speak and uh unfortunately that was that was the end of that i mean i i see them on ebay every now and again but some of those look really beat up and i'm just trying to find one like Realistically, it's it's probably the weakest of the war games or the war masters or the game master series, but it's still like a complete collection kind of thing. So, and I am still trying to get myself a copy of the Shogun box of of uh, Samurai Swords, and I also would love to get a copy of the Fortress America box. Where it's got the Saddam Hussein figure with the sunglasses on that they printed to try to pretend like it wasn't actually Saddam Hussein. So, but that would just be fun to have that. 
Anyways, when I talk about the Game Master series, and we're, we're talking about Ameritrash. So Ameritrash tends to be games that are like heavy on theme, lots of plastic pieces, lots of like game mechanics that uh, kind of contradict, or not contradict, but lots of game mechanics that like you have to remember a lot of things and there's a lot of things and they, they put more and more mechanics in to try to enhance the theme more to to tell the story more, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of like the core piece of Ameritrash. And I, I love it. I love Ameritrash games. I know a lot of people like really hate on them and stuff and, and you know, all that. But uh, it, the thing about Ameritrash games are they are dripping with theme. And it is a lot of fun. Um, I don't know. I, I can't. I can't justify like. Yes, I want to sit, sit down for a six-hour game and play. What's not that long? That's and that's the problem. And that's the problem right there. Everyone always assumes Ameritrash games have to take six hours to play because there's a lot of rules, a lot of things, a lot of moving pieces, all that. That is not at all the case, and that is a horrible misrepresentation. Like, how many times do you hear someone say, "Oh, I'd love to play Twilight Imperium, but I don't have eight hours to play it." And it does not take eight hours to play. In fact, there was one time at my game store where we ran a tournament or a, like a, a Twilight Imperium event. And I think the winner either got a copy of the game or, or it was either a copy of the game or store credit equal to the copy of the game, um, and which was a really fun way of doing it. And the – I'm trying to remember. I think it was two hours. I think they completed the entire game in two hours. And this is because Twilight Imperium 3 and 4 adopted a bit of a Euro, a bit of a Euro style. And I'll get to that in a second. So the thing, a big thing I want to say about Ameritrash games is that they tend to guide a player to knock a player out. You know, like things like Samurai Swords, Axis and Allies... Even Forge Smacker was certainly great. Um, Eagle Games is, uh, well, I guess not the point in Europe. But whatever. The point is, is that a lot of times you're trying to conquer territories, conquer these people's capitals, and you're trying to take a player out of the game. Where literally you're sitting there, you've got all your friends together, you know, you've gotten five or six friends together to play this game, and you're now saying, okay, you no longer get to play because your nation got wiped out. And boy, is that a bummer. Boy, is that a bummer. I mean, there are times where sometimes you'll pull your punch in a Amer- in a Ameritrash game just to keep someone from being eliminated because you don't want this poor person sitting there for the next hour without anything to do while the rest of your friends are having fun. And I, I you know, there's part of that where it's like, okay, well, that's kind of the point of the games is to conquer. So you shouldn't pull your punches, but at the same time, you do have to sit there and stare at these people's faces and watch them whimper. You know, or, or like sometimes in games, you're like, I'm going to like Twilight Pyramid happens all the time. It's like you have to take someone's home system. You have to take out a fleet or something. So you get this big buildup for this one clash of a battle. And, but you don't want to keep pushing because you don't want to knock the person out or you, you push to a certain point and then you kind of like, you, you take your foot off the gas and you hold up a bit, you know. And these are, these are some of the inherent problems in our attraction. That's why they try to adopt some of these Euro style games ideas to uh, 
make the games a little more, you know, a little less on complete conquest and things like that, and a little runaway, a little bit try to eliminate some of the runaway uh, this that you get some of the games. So uh, that's kind of so talking about Euro games. Then Euro games tend to be heavy on the mechanics, light on the theme, and they are so heavy on the mechanics that they are a lot of times very, very mechanically sound. And the idea is you're almost always playing for victory points. You're not playing for elimination. So you're playing a game to see who played the game the best. And that's really the game style that's become the most popular in the game community. As gaming has had its resurgence, the, the Euro style game has become the de facto standard, I feel like. You know, Catan, you play to 10 victory points. No one's getting eliminated. You're playing to victory points. Uh, you know, Ticket to Ride, you're playing to victory points. Uh, Seven Wonders, you're all playing through and you're scoring at the end to see who wins. Agricola, same thing. Um, the uh, the wine game that I really enjoy that I always forget its name of, like Stonemeyer Games. Wow, why can I remember that? Uh, Viticulture. Viticulture. Uh, same thing. That's a worker placement game. Uh, almost all worker placement, or no, not almost, all worker placement games are that way. <laughs> you know, and so that has become like a de facto norm or standard is that like so many games are just working towards victory points now and i mean even our games that we've developed some of our bigger box games uh they are they either got like a turn timer that limits the game so you're not working towards the abstract goal of elimination like risk or you know it's it's got a turn timer or it's got some kind of like this is when the game ends or it's got some kind of victory point base like uh, the outbreak has a victory point base uh, for winning the game. Now that game is a little different because you don't know what victory points you're working towards until the last turn when you find out if the virus won or if humanity won, or if humanity collapsed, the virus collapsed and nobody won. You know, it, it's at some point I'll get outbreak re-released. I mean, I think you can still buy it on Game Crafter, but I'll get it re-released because I keep talking about it and it's a super fun game. Uh, I'd really love for Evan to play it. It's just not one I can uh, realistically bring in and sell through Andac. So it's kind of lived its life uh, on GameCraft where you can order a one-off copy of. And I, I actually am working on a new version right now. It's going to reduce the cost even more by reducing some of the components and things like that. Because I know that, you know, the game has, what is it? Ten of each color, so that's 40, 50, 60, 70. It's got like 70 meeples in it. So it's pretty pricey, even with quantity discounts. Uh, there's you know, there's a lot of wood in there. <laughs> so I'm trying to work on some mechanics to to simplify the game a little bit, but not in like a terrible way, but remove some of the need for just the amount of meeples that are in the game. Uh, and then of course we also have the revolution, which is a, t- a time a time-based game where you play until you basically you're trying to capture and hold the american populace's love for your nation either it's the, the colonial america or great britain in the time until one of the nations or really both nations decide to sue for peace and then once it's like okay we are you know we've lost the will to fight or once both sides have lost the will to fight then kind of the uh game ends and and the person with the most territory declared the winner uh or i mean there's points but you know what i'm saying 
So, but that's still a turn-based thing. Now that one doesn't have a set turn limit because like the, the colonial player's job is to try to make the war untenable for the British. And so they're trying to push that unhappiness in England up quicker as the, you know, as the turn timer marks down. So they're trying to get these two bulbs to meet each other. And then once they meet each other, game's over. Whereas the British player is trying to basically run the colonials out of supplies and morale and soldiers and things like that. And if they can drive the morale down enough, then the game ends at that point with a, with a British victory. So you don't really know the time limit. You don't really know where, when the game's going to end specifically, but the game does end with, uh, kind of one side or the other coming to victory. Um, now that game though, you can snatch victory from another way. Like if the colonists think they're pushing the British, pushing the British, pushing the British, and they're so close to getting those two bulbulars together. And all of a sudden the British, like, drop a hammer and capture like Washington or like some major victories in the battlefield, the colonial morale can drop like a rock and all of a sudden the game can be over for the British or in, in favor of the British. So like there is, there is some big swings that can happen in that game or like the British can be pounding on the rebels and destroying their fleet and watch the, or their armies and watching the morale drop. But the colonials are playing enough uh, cultural cards that all of a sudden the British are like, oh, there's no support for the war at home anymore. We're about to lose. You know, so the game swings pretty heavily uh, in, in that way, one way or the other. So that is uh, those those two games. But we weren't talking about those. We were talking about Euro games versus Ameritrash games. And actually, I, I'm, I'm spending my entire time talking about that. So I'm not actually going to get into... Uh, a little bit on how I work on games. I'll do that tomorrow. But I think I this sense this sets a nice groundwork for what a Euro trash game is, an Ameritrash game. Then obviously there's other games too. There's card games, there's cooperative games, there's legacy games. Um, you know, just to run through some of those, like legacy games are the games where you permanently modify the game. Uh Rob DeVoe, DeVoe came up with that concept with Risk Legacy and it I mean, when I first saw that, my wife found it in a, a game store here in Illinois called Games Plus. And she was like, check out this game of Risk, because she knows I don't really like Risk. And I looked at it, and I was like, I'm like, I'll start reading the back, like, wait a minute, this is awesome. And so we bought a copy and really loved it. And, you know, he did a lot of things to make Risk, again, a little more Euro-like by creating a timeline, by making the game end quicker than full faction elimination and things like that. And, uh, and obviously to customizing the races and things to be your permanent and then having surprises that you open that you don't know in the way. It's just it was so well done. So well done. And, you know, legacy became, became very, very popular. And I, like I said, I have one that I've designed. Actually, I've got a couple I've designed, but I had one really cheap one I designed um, and things like that. I, I like legacy games. I think now there's been a move towards this quote unquote infinite legacy where you don't actually destroy components, but you can customize the game as you play, and it like remembers from game to game, which is pretty cool too. And uh, obviously, co-op games you're playing together, and hopefully avoiding quarterbacking, which I'll talk about that in another uh, episode. Not not this week, probably, but at some point I'll talk about cooperative games and how to do them right, and how some of the most popular games just lead to players quarterbacking, and I think create kind of an you know 
not as fun of an experience, although I still enjoy those games and I do play them. Anyways, that is going to be on for now, or that's going to be all for now, I should say. And uh, I just want to thank you all for who came out and joined our stream last night where we were streaming Project Zomboid and just having some fun doing some gaming, talking about our Kickstarter and all that kind of stuff. You know, feel free. That's a great time for you to post questions to us, engage with us directly, and we can talk about uh, any questions people have about the Kickstarter. We've also got the Kickstarter starting on October 1st, of course, so looking forward to that. And I will catch you all tomorrow. Bye.